I think a good clarifying question that we I ask myself and I encourage you to ask yourself too is, is God a character in your story or are you a character in God's story? Pastor John. This is Pastor Tim. This is Every Moment His. Welcome back. The podcast. What are we talking about today, Pastor John? We are talking about First John. We're talking about parasites. Parasites. Specifically brood parasites. Cool. You're, you're hooked now. I Absolutely. You're hooked like a hookworm. <laughs> that was a joke. There it is. Yeah. There it is. <laughs> yeah. I remember as a kid learning a lot about parasites. There's kind of a grotesque fascination you know yeah for young young boys especially yeah especially yeah um yeah i've been watching some videos on brood parasites this week and by the way stick with us because this is going to have a a meaning this is not a biology this is not a biology uh, podcast podcast, you know but um (laughs) brood parasites are parasites that basically kind of farm out the raising of their young Uh (laughs) uh-huh uh to other animals and uh specifically uh cuckoo birds I think it's pronounced cuckoo. Is it cuckoo or cuckoo? It's cuckoo. I'll say cuckoo. Yeah, it's more fun to say it that way. Yeah, uh, like a cuckoo clock. Yeah. Um, but uh, the, the cuckoo bird, um, now pretend like we're watching the Discovery Channel Kay. or National Geographic, and I'm the narrator. Okay. Um, the female cuckoo bird distracts the reed warbler and then covertly lays an egg in her nest wow. and then leaves. It's kind of a real low-down thing to do. but how, how does the cuckoo bird distract? I think they make, they mimic a hawk sound. Oh, I think. No kidding. Uh, but anyways, um, so egg is laid. In, in the warbler's nest. In the warbler's nest. Okay. And the mom bird comes back and is like, everything's cool, I'm back. Yeah. And the <laughs> egg looks almost like the reed warbler's egg. Not... Perfect, exactly. but, but close enough that mama bird's like, nothing's wrong here. Yeah, so apparently uh, reed warblers are not good at math. No. Or perception. <laughs> yeah, or perception. <laughs> no big deal. Yeah, so anyways, the, in the course of time, the, the cuckoo bird hatches, and it's a massive bird. I mean, it, and Much bigger. And it's not the same kind of bird. Now, here's what happens. It actually begins to push, strategically push all the other eggs or babies out of the nest. And it's like, this is my nest. And then so mama bird comes back to feed and you just got one big hungry mouth to feed. Huh. And this bird just grows massive. And if the bird is not able to get the other birds out, it just kind of crowds out the space for food. And so all the resources are then given to the cuckoo bird and then flies away and it's like, jokes on you, mama warbler. Man, uh, man it's heartbreaking. Savage. Savage, yeah. Yeah, so anyways, um, I was watching videos on this week, uh, this week about the uh, brood parasites because we are talking today about a very parasitic type of faith. Mm. Yeah, there is. Well, let's go back to 1 John. Okay. And I want to read something from 1 John. 1 John 4.1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. 
for many false prophets have gone out into the world. Okay. So there's a f- there's an infestation within the church. There's a there's a a foreign actor, a foreign spirit, he says. Yeah. That is coming into the church and they need to be better than the the reed warbler. Yeah, they need to recognize and test it. that egg is not my egg. It doesn't look like the real egg. So don't feed it. So don't feed it. Yeah. We need okay. to differentiate between the spirit that is of Jesus and the spirit that's of the world or of the wicked one. And I think what John is getting at uh, is that it's not always easy to tell the difference. And so you need to test the spirits. Mm. And so this was true in, in John's day. So in John's day, you had these false teachers who we call them the proto-gnostics. They were basically like saying things like, Jesus didn't really come in the flesh. You know, he's not really the son of God. And that sin isn't really a big deal. And that it's not really necessary to love the brothers and the sisters in the community of faith. And they were using the same scriptures sometimes. They were using Old Testament kind of stuff. They were using some of the same language of Jesus and salvation and God. But they, it, they, were, they were laying a different egg. Mm. Right? Yeah, so the, so the call was for discernment. Discernment. Yeah, awareness. Okay, this is not true. This is not a real gospel. We need to reject this idea that Jesus isn't really... Uh, God in the flesh. Right. And we need to reject the idea that, yeah, we don't have to love the the brothers. Yeah. 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 And so really we have this idea of a parasitic faith, something that really can't exist on its own. It has to kind Mm -hmm. of attach itself to another belief system. Like the false teachers didn't come up with Jesus or the Old Testament scriptures. They attach themselves onto the teaching of the apostles in a parasitic way. They and then they began to suck the life out of the church and, and harm it and, mm. and even make it into something that's, that's not actually Christian. And so um, it's kind of like the cuckoo bird and yeah. the nest. And so uh, today in our modern context, we're talking about a parasitic form of faith that is, I would say, the, the, the primary religion of the United States of America. Or at least would, in the Western world. Would you think it world. expands? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I almost think that this is a default religion for all humanity. Um, but in particular, yeah, in the West, mm-hmm. uh, it has um, we've lost the ability to differentiate between true historic uh, hook to the apostles Christianity yeah. and this faith, which masquerades, masquerades as Christianity, even calls itself Christianity. But it's not really Christianity, yeah. So what, what is this faith? Well, so we're not just making this up. This comes from a really in-depth study done by two sociologists. Um, and I believe that they did it at Notre Dame, uh, Christian Smith and Melinda Denton. Okay. And they wrote a book based on their research, I think back in 2008. It's called Soul Searching, uh, The Religious Life of American Teenagers. And... Um, the term, well, what they did is they basically surveyed the religious faith of American teenagers in the church. So not outside of the church, inside the church, in the nest. So those who would identify as Christians. Yeah, So and they yeah. did a cross-section of Roman Catholic and Baptist and Lutheran and Methodist. 
And what they found was that the primary beliefs of American teenagers were not actually Christian. Mm -hmm. They looked kind of Christian. They used the language of the Bible or Jesus, but it wasn't actually historic teaching mm -hmm. of the apostles. So it's kind of a hollowed out uh, yeah. parasitic version. Yeah, and, and it's not just some independent faith. It it dwells within churches. Like it's it's it has to find a host, which would be Orthodox biblical faith within a church, and then it begins to kind of eat that faith from the inside out mm -hmm. and become something entirely different. And and I would say that this parasitic faith is actually more dangerous than atheism. Like I agree. I'm not I'm not like most people are not going to go and just be an atheist. That's, That's a hard, right. long journey that most yeah. people won't embrace. And it it's, there's a high price um, intellectually to be a, a practicing atheist. Yeah. You yeah. Know, it's funny to say that, but yeah, atheists have to have a, a certain set of commitments that they're absolutely bound to. Yeah, they have to be consistent and they have yeah. to, and you very rarely meet like consistent atheists who believe their beliefs all the way down to what it actually means, that there's no meaning. <laughs> yeah. And that we're all here on accident yeah. and, you so know. So even if you're an atheist, you live as if there's a God. In many ways, yeah. yeah. Or that there are moral norms or purpose to life or whatever. So so this one's more dangerous because... Because it kind of looks like the same egg, right? Yeah. But then when it hatches, it kicks everybody out of the nest and wreaks havoc yeah. and it consumes endless resources, right? Uh, okay. Yeah. Well, so have we named this faith yet? Yes, so uh, Smith and Denton in their book called this, get ready, it's a mouthful, Moralistic Therapeutic Deism. Okay. Now let's just say it again. Everybody repeat. Let's say it together. Moralistic yep. Therapeutic, therapeutic deism. deism. Okay. Let's break that down a little bit. Okay, so moralistic. Moralistic means that God and faith and church and whatever is just all about being a good person. It's like being nice and fair. It's kind of like lowest common denominator morality. We're not really held to these like these commandments and these, you know, like the call to bear your cross. It's yeah. it's just, yeah, just be nice, be a good person. Or, yeah, I think I hear this a lot when people say, I have Christian values, right? Yeah. So I, so I'm, I'm extracting Christian principles from the faith, but I'm not necessarily a Christian, you know, or I'm yeah. not necessarily, I don't really believe that Christ rose from the dead, that he was really God, but I really appreciate the values that it brings into my life and the life of my kids. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that's moralistic. Yeah. Moralistic. Now therapeutic. Therapeutic means really that it's all about you. It's all about you and your own personal happiness. And so God is kind of like a divine phone a friend. You know, he's kind of just there when you need him. He's just kind of a butler to cater to your needs, your felt needs to kind of help you get to where you want to go in life. Uh, it's really all about you. So yeah. it's, it's all about making you feel a little better. Yeah. Which is, th I mean, therapy is good in a sense. Right, right. right. Yeah. I mean, that word is, and in fact, the word therapeutic comes from the Greek word for healing. <laughs> yeah. And, and, but we're using this in a very specific sense of therapeutic meaning. It's just about making me feel good. So the end result is not necessarily uh, a true trusting heart in the work of God, but the end result is fo more focused on, hey, did it help you get through this week? 
Yeah, did it make you feel good about yourself? Did yeah. it help you accomplish your goals? Yeah. Um, and people yeah. will say something like this, or at least they hear shades of it when it's like, yeah, I go to church because I just feel so much better afterwards. Yeah, so and, and maybe we do. Yeah, maybe yeah, we yeah, do. Absolutely. I mean, because we've been with Jesus, right? And that's good. Yeah. But it could be like, yeah, I just needed that boost so that I can like live my best life now. Right? Just get on with my plans. Yeah. Yep. So that it makes um, for true Christianity, joy, happiness, contentment is a byproduct of the spirit, but it's not the end goal. It's not the end all be all. Yeah, of it. and it's like C.S. Lewis once said, if you want to be miserable, try to be happy. Huh. But if you seek God, happiness will be, will come with it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so that's moralistic, therapeutic, and deism. Deism, or some people say deism, mm -hmm. tomato, tomato. Uh, mm -hmm. It is the belief that was very prominent in the 17th and 18th centuries. In fact, many of our founding fathers actually embraced this belief. Uh, and it is that God created the world, but he's not really involved in the world. He kind of like wound up the watch and then let it go. Mm -hmm. And so he got things rolling, but really it's kind of all about what you do. God helps those who help themselves, self-reliance, and God really isn't involved in this world. He's kind of a distant, yeah. you know, from a distance. Watchmaker God. From a distance, God yeah. is watching us. Yeah. That's a great song. <laughs> or not. I don't know. Bette Midler. Um, I, I don't you want to sing it? I, I don't, you know don't know it. I don't think, I don't think so. From a distance. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> God is watching us. <laughs> But only from a distance, and he's okay. only watching. And he's not going to get too close. He's not going to really get too us. involved, right? Yeah. So, yeah, this is, I, man, I have encountered this so many times. Well, and, it's, and all of us, let's be humble here too, all of us are moralistic, therapeutic deists to some extent. It's, okay. it's kind of like we got a little, this is the great temptation, I think, of being an American Christian. This is like our perennial temptation but we really want to be vaccinated against it gotcha right and if we're ever symptomatic we want to get treatment okay yeah. so yeah I, I think i had a conversation with a guy at my last church who um loved him his mom uh his mom was a faithful christian when his dad died uh in old age um we had a funeral for him and he, he and I had talked several times, and he, was, he said, yeah, I don't believe. And he wasn't apologetic about it. But I talked to him after the funeral. We were talking about the resurrection from the dead, and we are talking about the forgiveness that's in Jesus. And uh, he's kind of almost as like a retreat. He said, well, look, I believe in God. Like, I'm not like a, just an atheist. Mm -hmm. I believe there's a God. Yeah. But, so he was cool with <coughs> that, but he didn't want to get specific yeah, and you see that move sometimes where people will say, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe it with all your heart. I mean, just yeah. all religions are the same. Now, I would say there's like hard moralistic therapeutic deism and there's soft. Okay. And I think that the hardcore version is kind of out in the world, like in those who are not going to have an attachment to a church. But the soft version exists often in the church in very subtle ways. Uh, and by the way, let's just call it MTD. Okay. It sounds like a medical condition. Like <laughs> it's less to say. Yes. Uh, if you know, like, uh, yeah. 
like, you know, the commercials about medications, like, <laughs> um, helps with the treatment of MTD. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Side effects might be. Might be. Uh, going to church more. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so MTD from here on out. Uh, so, now just a word about Smith and Denton and their work. They're not throwing teenagers under the bus. No. Because, by the way, those teenagers that they did the research on are now adults. Yeah. And they're careful to point out that the same MTD beliefs held by those teenagers who are now adults were also held by their parents. Yeah. I think that we're generations deep into this. We have a creed. No. Yes. <laughs> Let's start over. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. <laughs> So, does MTD have a formal creed? No, not a formal creed. Not a formal creed. Okay. Like, there's not like the MTD creed. No. Like, we have the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. Uh, but uh, Smith and Denton, in their book, they, they came up with five affirmations of MTD. Uh, we just want to kind of work through those. And, and we're doing this to kind of show you the difference. Okay. So that you, dear listener, can learn how to spot this in yourself, in the culture, in the church even, gosh, okay. in the nest. <laughs> okay. Uh, we want to tell the difference between the eggs. So let's go in and, and, and take a look. So what's the first affirmation? So first, yeah, a God does exist who created and orders the world and watches over life on earth. Okay, from a distance. From a distance, okay. yeah. So now not all of that is bad because God did create, but we have a problem with a God? So, okay, but which God? Yeah. I mean, Jesus says, gosh, even the demons believe and they shudder. Yeah. So when a uh, claim in an anonymous God doesn't mm -hmm. save us. Right. Saying, I, be I'm, I believe there's a God. Well, good. Everyone believes That's that. Great. It's natural yeah. truth. Right. But when we don't want to talk about a God as Christians, we want to talk about first the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit because... Any God who is not the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is not God. Yeah, so, and this is the point that First John makes, right? Yeah. Is if, unless you say God came down here and said some stuff, mm -hmm. he spoke words that are either true or false. He, had, he embodied a real human body. He yeah. died on the cross. Unless you say that's God, you don't know God. Right. Period. So look what John says in 1 John 4, 2. He says, by this you know the Spirit of God. This is how you tell the difference between the eggs, right? Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So unless we are hearing about Jesus Christ coming in the flesh, living in the flesh, dying in the flesh, rising in the flesh, returning in the flesh yet now glorified. It ain't God. It ain't God. Yeah. And we don't really have time for it. It's, it's something else. So, you know, my dear friend loved this guy, loved talking to him, but him saying, oh, I believe there's a God, um, but saying, I don't believe it's Jesus. Then we're not talking about the same thing. Yeah. Right. Uh, similarly, you know, uh, Muslims believe there's a God, mm -hmm. um, but they don't believe Jesus is God. Yeah, and they would even say that they believe that Jesus was a great prophet. Yeah. But they're not going to say he came in the flesh as the unique son of God who came 
to die for our sins and rise from the dead. So when they're saying God, they don't mean the true God. Right. Similarly, Judaism. And this one's a little more tricky. And there are differing (coughs) opinions among Jews, I think, about who Jesus is, but they would not say he's the son of God. And so it might be a little controversial to say, but it's true. They're not worshiping the same God. Right, because once again, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's God. Who came in the flesh, right? Yeah, exactly. So they've, I mean, they once had the revelation from God, but when they rejected the Jewish religion, rejected the Christ that God had sent, they rejected God himself. And really, Jesus says that in in the... does. In the Gospels. So Jesus, as a first century Jewish man, spoke that mm-hmm. um, to his own people. Um, and so did the apostles who were all Jewish. Yeah. So what's the next one? So the next one is that moralistic kind of push. God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. So we can agree with the fact that there are moral standards from God, but we have to ask the question, God wants us to be good. Well, what does good mean? Because good is only determined by who God is and who I am and my relationship to him. So if we're not clear on that, then good is going to be whatever I think is good. Yeah, because, and certainly I think there is something to say as Christians we have a lot of we do have a lot of common ground in morals. Yeah, mm-hmm. like even you know with Islam, we have much that overlaps as far as understanding, um, you know, human um, human kindness, right? Human charity, yeah. charity. Like and the, they're really active in giving alms. Yeah, and we're like, well, that's that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Same thing with Judaism. We would yep. say we have a lot of moral common ground, but we are also talking about very specific morality which is the commandments and Jesus's commandment that we would love one another as God mm-hmm. first loved us. And that is costly and it's Jesus-centered. The other thing I have a problem with is the word nice because the word nice is not in the Bible. Nice is kind of like a weak, kind of flimsy, meh kind of word. Yeah. I mean, imagine if John said, beloved, let us be nice to one another because God is nice. God was so nice to the world that he... <laughs> yeah. I mean, the word love is a much more robust word. And uh, look at John, 1 John 4, 9. He says this. He says, In this the love of God was made manifest or revealed among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. This yeah. is a very costly love, not just a nice. And put him up as a propitiation for our sins. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so Christian love and morals are centered on and it mimicking the love displayed in Christ, which is a love unto death. Unto death. A sacrificial kind of love. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is, yeah, we everyone agrees we should be nice to each other, right? Um, and do what is right and good. Let me ask you a question, Pastor John. If your kids never recognized you as their father, would that be good and fair? Well, and I see where you're going here. Yeah. I mean, people, like, let's say that somebody, uh, Tim Keller uses this illustration, I believe. He, you know, he says, you know, what if somebody grows up being taught to be kind to others or to be charitable by their parents because their parents have those values? And then after teaching those values, 
then that person grows up and moves away and says, I don't want anything to do with my parents. They're dead to me, but I'm still going to practice kindness. Mm -hmm. In the same way, somebody could really embrace those values of kindness and, and charity to other people, but want nothing to do with God. Yeah. And so that really spoils everything because you have no relationship with the source of those things. Yeah, which uh, is basically what the Christ, what the Western world has done with Christianity. Right, right. It's like we want to we want to take those values and we pass them on to our kids in whatever way, but we don't want to recognize that God the Father created the heavens and the earth and calls us to worship Him. Yeah, that He's the center of everything. Yeah, yeah without so, apology. So yeah. I would say, yeah, if you're not if you don't recognize your source, you're not good. It's not cool. Yeah, you're cut off from the source of life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. What's another one? Okay. Uh, third tenet of MTD. The central goal of this life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. I think Jesus said that somewhere in the Gospels. <laughs> uh, he said, I'll have to read it again. I can't uh, remember where he yeah. says that. No, no, he didn't. Yeah, uh, okay. <laughs> no, but he did say, if anybody would follow me, let him take up his cross. You know, he talks about this costly love for God and others because he has a costly love for us. Um, so look at 1 John 4, 7. He says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Right? And John talks about love as laying down your life for your brother or your sister, not trying to get ahead. Is it uh, Sheryl Crow? She has that song, um, If It Makes You Happy, It Can't Be All That Bad. Right. I think so. But sometimes we have different understandings of happiness. Like mm -hmm. our goal of happiness is not God's. Our goal of feeling good about ourselves is on the wrong terms. Um, this is actually the problem that I have with, um, there's a really popular book by Rachel Hollis called Girl, Wash Your Face and Girl, Stop Apologizing. And uh, there's been some really great reviews written on these books um, because basically these books are MTD, you know, to the max. And... It talk, in fact, they were sold in, in some Christian bookstores. They were marketed by a Christian publisher, I think, at one time maybe. Uh, and really the message is, is that you need to stop apologizing and put yourself first and get ahead and, and be number one and pursue your dreams at any cost. Don't just be a giver, be a taker kind of. And, mm -hmm. and, and I, maybe that's a little crass way of putting it, but... But it, it's kind of like own your dreams at whatever yeah. cost. And, and stop uh, allowing other people to run over you. Yeah. And, yeah. and of course, yeah, you don't want people to run over you, yep. but that's not healthy. But it takes it to a place where my goals and my happiness and my dreams are kind of it. And um, so, so really yeah. the, the criticism of this is that like Jesus really calls us to this costly love that's not self-absorbed. And yeah. it doesn't look as great to the world, but it's a beautiful way of life. Yeah, a few thoughts that come to mind for me is, you know, what, well, what if the apostles had this mindset? You know, it's like Paul's like, you know what? I was going to go to Macedonia. I was going to preach the gospel, but I got beat up the last time I did that. And so I just didn't make me feel good about myself. And so I'm going to not do that. And I'm going to pursue tent making uh, which is, you know, something he did. And yeah. my, the rest of my hobbies, I'm going to travel. I'm just going to be an entrepreneur, you know. Yeah. And, or like if Jesus even were to say, you know, I just don't feel like going to the cross is my best life. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I just, I don't think that, I think I need to, to some me time. 
Yeah. Yeah. And to zero in a little bit further and maybe a little bit uh, closer to home, it's like when parents, um, when their kids are like, I just don't like going to church. And parents think, you know what? It's just not making them happy. Mm -hmm. Um, Going to church and hearing God's word and um, receiving this forgiveness, it's not making um, Junior uh, happy and feel good about himself. He needs to be doing things that make his self-esteem rise, and that's not the church. So therefore, uh, it's not serving that end, so we're going to jettison it from our schedule. Well, and I think that this even affects the way that we interact with church because mm-hmm. we often will interact with church as consumers. We'll say, you know, the music just wasn't doing it for me. It wasn't feeding me. Man, that preacher was a little boring or, you know, I just, I just wasn't feeling it. And sometimes we're, we're kind of assessing the church community. The, we're sizing up the body of Christ in terms of, you know. Is it a means to my end? Yeah. I think a good clarifying question that we, I ask myself and I encourage you to ask yourself too is, is God a character in your story or are you a character in God's story? You know, so if God is a character in your story that makes you feel good about yourself so that you can accomplish your career goals, your family goals, whatever, your fitness goals, then use him, right, is the, is the lie. Yeah. Uh, whereas Christ is saying, I've given everything for you that you might be eternally happy. Mm-hmm. Now come and die with me. Come and die into this life so that you might live to the next. Hit me with another one. Okay. Number four, uh, MTD. God is not involved in my life except when I need God to resolve a problem. Yeah, this is God is the phone a friend. Okay. And we're all guilty of this. You know, we're like, to some extent, like I remember the things I would pray about as a middle schooler, like, you know, dear God, let that girl in math class like me, help me to do good in baseball and help me to pass this test. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> like, Amen. End of story. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, or yeah, it's like, man, I, I really had a bad season in life. I went through a car, several car accidents. I lost my job. And then God suddenly had a use for me when I needed to get back on my feet. Now that I'm back on my feet, um, I don't need God anymore. Yeah. Right. Right. That I've kind of graduated from, from my need. Yeah. Um, and, and this is completely opposite to what John is saying because John one fourteen. I love this verse. He says, and the word became what? It flesh. Became flesh and dwelt among mm-hmm. us. So God is so, he's not watching over us. He's like invested in us. He is like plugged in. He's like invested in, in the mess so much so that Christ put on flesh and laid down his life. I mean, that is true biblical Christianity. And because Jesus put on flesh and died for us so that we might have life, we in our flesh serve one another. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the end is important too. Um, And well, let's go on to the next one because I think it ties in there. But the fifth one uh, is that good people, no matter what their religious persuasion, just good people, good folk, they go to heaven when they die. Um, And probably heaven's not defined real clearly there. Yeah. So typically heaven is going to be defined as just this nice place, the good place, Mm -hmm. you know, where people go when they die, um, spirit in the sky. Yeah, and yeah. it's it's uh, whatever you define. So my my heaven is uh, lots of puppies, and uh, lots of really good food. Puppies. Yeah, I'm not eating the puppies, but they're there. 
They're there, but they're not eating the food. They're not, yeah. Okay, okay. Good to clarify that because that could end up being hell. But uh, <laughs> there's just cats everywhere that yeah. it's hell. Right? So no matter what people believe in the heart mm-hmm. about who God is, about who Jesus is, if they were fairly good and maybe lived respectable lives, contributed yeah. to the community, yeah, um, they'll be in a better place mm-hmm. after death. Yeah, and typically the focus of that better place is not, you know, glorifying God and fellowship with fellowship yeah. with the Father and the Son and His saints forever. It's uh, it's typically defined as just a better place where you might see loved ones or you might, uh, you know, just be on cloud nine, right? Yeah, have it how you want, right? Yeah. It's Burger King. It's Burger King. Yeah, have it your yeah. way. Uh, so there's lots of problems with that, of yeah, course. <laughs> yeah, because Jesus says, and this is John 17, 3, I think, and this is eternal life, that they might know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the grand trend of this, MTD strips out all the particulars mm-hmm. about faith, all the names, uh, has a generic God, a generic salvation, Yep. and a generic path. It's perfect for Americans. Yeah, I mean, because you can kind of have it your own way. I mean, and this is why I think that people, we have more and more of a detachment from church. And and so people talk about the nuns, you mm-hmm. know, those who have no faith, how that's a growing number. But, you know, I don't really think that people are going to church less in the 21st century American uh culture because of things like atheism like hardcore unbelief no they're they're still gonna say they believe in some kind of god or even jesus but but they're they're not recognizing the historic biblical apostolic kind of tradition once handed over crunchy kind of faith that's got yeah well, yeah, so I, th- I think, you know, that lack of specificity, people, even people will say, I believe in Jesus, um, but I will reject every one of his words or any, any one of his words that makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, we kind of go through and we pick out of the Gospels what's comfortable to us, which St. Augustine once said that if you pick out of the Gospels what you like, then you just believe in yourself, right? Not Jesus. Uh, yeah, and, and I think that's where we get to these things that people say, like, I can experience God in nature, or uh, church is in my heart. Mm-hmm. Well, no, you know, church is, <laughs> church is people, right? Church yeah. is like my, my people, the, the, the communion of the saints, it's gathering around a pulpit, and it's gathering around an altar, and it's gathering around, you know, hymnody and songs yeah. and prayers. And, and most important, right, it's gathering around the word of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes Jesus is going to say stuff that makes you uncomfortable. Yeah. Actually, he might say things that make you angry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And have to struggle and wrestle. Um, it's going to mess with you. Yeah. I, so I've been thinking a lot about what Jesus says in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, he says, um, anyone who is ashamed of me or my words, I will be ashamed of when I come with, my, with the angels in mm. glory. Mm-hmm. And I just, every time I read that, it just kind of smacks me in the face just to think he's not messing around. Right. Uh, but to be ashamed of his words is really the sticking point for me mm-hmm. because 
I do know a lot of, a lot of people and I see it in myself too. Right. Yeah. That are like, gosh, I just don't like this thing that Jesus said. Like I'm going to kind of double clutch on that and maybe back down from yeah. what Jesus said. Or that thing that Jesus said is going to make me say that the Bible was primarily man-made. Yeah. And, and undermine the Bible and the yeah. apostolic faith. Yeah. So that is MTD, also known as moralistic therapeutic deism. Um, if you want to, if you're into sociology and numbers and research, you can always check out that book, Soul Searching. If you would like to read a maybe a simpler book, there's a book out um, by the author is uh, Kenda Creasy Dean, and uh, it is called Almost Christian. Uh, what the faith of our teenagers is telling the American church, almost Christian. And so how, uh, can, how can we, what's some hope here? What, what's the path back? Uh, just, I, I think the path back is being countercultural through having an attachment to a church and, and being like, this is my people. I'm, I'm tied to the, the, the teaching of the apostles, I'm, I'm just going to be rooted in a church community that I know is going to be countercultural, even a little subversive, you know. We're not going to have the same ends or desires that we've been trained to have as, as American citizens in the Western modern world. That, that's what I think the hope is. My, the hope is that the Holy Spirit just continues to renew us yeah. as the church and, and bring us back to a, a deep love for Jesus, his people, and the scriptures. Yeah. yeah. So don't be satisfied with a generic faith. Yeah. Know yeah. the difference, right? Yeah. Know uh, the difference. Only be satisfied with the words of Jesus. Yeah. Count the spots on the eggs, right? See yeah. if they're the same. <laughs> and, and what is the risk here? Um, can people lose their faith and lose salvation if they are moralistic, therapeutic deists at heart? I think so, yeah. I mean, obviously God makes that final call, mm -hmm. but I mean, if you've got a really bad parasite in your guts that's, that's sucking away all of your life and your energy, you could die. And, mm -hmm. and so if MTD causes people to believe in a Jesus who saves us not from sin, death, and the devil, but from not having our best life. If you believe in a Jesus who is offering you your best life now, you know, if you're, you're, uh, if you're detached from your church community mm -hmm. into this kind of watered down faith, I think that there's a huge danger there yeah. for real. I think that once again, a lot of people have departed from the faith not through something like as crass as atheism or converting to another religion. It's because of this uh, brood parasite called MTD mm. has taken over the nest and pushed, pushed out true out. faith. Yeah. All right. So our prayer for you, anyone who's listening to this, is that you'd be spared from this and that you'd see uh, that the Holy Spirit would convict us all mm -hmm. to be aware and to see how dangerous this parasitic false belief system is and instead to cling to waters of baptism cling to the word of christ cling to the table where christ gives you what he won for you on the cross mm -hmm. and accept no counterfeit offers that's where it's at all right god's peace everyone